0: That's the first step to finding a place of belonging because when you know your values and you're clear with them, that second piece is then finding a tribe of people who you surround yourself with who share your same values. It's not, okay, who wears the same shoes as I do or says the same jokes as I do. That's a sense of fitting in. A sense of fitting in is like, I'm gonna make myself look like everybody else, sound like everybody else. Having a sense of belonging is more of an internal process where you create your mold of what it looks like, and then you try to figure out who around you has a similar mold.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show, where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, podcaster, and sitting across from me is my very saucy co-host. You could have said hungover.
2: (laughs) (laughs) realty it's a sunday morning i am sam i'm a flight nurse professor podcaster powerlifter, and co-host of the selfie show and today we are talking off the clock
1: about one of tori
2: and i's favorite topics mm. mental health yes. with macy grim
1: yeah she's a licensed professional clinical counselor you guys honestly this was probably one of the most i i just loved her it this was, was very was a great timely episode. yes
2: because she talked about some things that are actually kind of helping me through my single girl life journey yeah right we had our own with therapy session recommendations yeah it felt like a therapy session for yeah. me so yes yeah, we love it, off the clock for reals yeah so speaking of single girl life tip i don't ha- i'm out of tips for you guys because <laughs> if i had good ones obviously i probably wouldn't be We well, i have to change up the segment right? it's fine <laughs> <laughs> no i'm um, joking <laughs> obviously i think my tips are more along the lines of how to live a very fulfilled life as a single person. But today I just want to be like a little petty and mm. put people on blast. I love a petty that's moment what for I you. do best. <laughs> but I just think it's really funny that last night I looked pretty good. I'm not even going to lie. Mm. Just like I fire. got dressed up and I posted a fire selfie this morning on Instagram where I was like yeah, this mm-hmm. is it. This is mm-hmm. the one. You're welcome. What happens yeah. to my phone and my DMs? Oh, mm-hmm. let me guess. Yeah. So you had some, some pop off. Yeah. So two like little Hingey boys before I deleted Hinge and just said I'm done with dating right now, like done with it. Um, They were we both we never made it past the talking stage,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like never anything. Yeah. It was one date with each of them. And that
1: was literally the extent there was nothing was that because you were not interested or they were like what what happened like did they ghost or did they yeah, yeah he gonna ghost me like oh. with the audacity like rude rude so
2: it was um fuck boy status like very very fuck yeah boy. yeah and but it was like the acting like super all about it like super into it. And then just all of a sudden this abrupt like, nah. And yeah. then I call that behavior out. So I think then once I call that behavior out, then I get ghosted. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Because I'm not going to not call that behavior out. Right. But the funny thing is, is they both still follow me on social media. And then the second I post this fire selfie, yeah, yeah, yeah. what happens? Yeah. Both of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh.
1: They come out. Mm-hmm. They're coming through the weeds. Mm-hmm. Coming and out. i like, oh. That's Mm. funny. So girls know your worth. Yeah. Seems to be a common theme here. We have that common theme. That's definitely like a bloodline of this show for sure. So
2: post your fire selfie and don't let them Mm -hmm. come crawling back.
1: Yeah. There you go. You made your bed laying it. (laughs) Boom. Okay. So mine, uh, which I think you and I have talked a lot about is I think it's really important when. Other things start becoming priorities in your life. So your careers, children, Mm
0: -hmm. personal
1: life pursuits, you know, all the, you know, trouble starts kind of setting in and your relationship gets on the back burner. And I just really think it's really important to make sure that your marriage or your partnership, whatever that is, is a top priority. I mean, the thing about, I mean, I just think about what we're going through right now. Sam has become part of our thruple but it's funny because it's easy for me to sort of put the marriage on the back burner and likewise with Jake. Jake has a lot of big changes going on right now and so making sure that your person, your partner is your top priority. It's Mm -hmm. just and it's easy to do when you know you just sort of time I think the older you get, time goes by so much faster. Like, what is up with that? Okay, I actually think I figured it out. Okay, what? So,
2: like, okay, when you're 12 years old, one summer is a significant portion of your entire lifespan. Yeah. Right? Totally. So it feels like way longer because your life isn't that long. Right. But now, when you're in your 30s, that's just a little... Fraction of the time, it's
0: a
1: blip. Yeah, like I feel like this summer is gonna fly by. Like, how are we already in April? I of have 20- no idea. I like, I don't understand. Very unprepared for April, but I feel like, yeah, like as you get older, time flies so much faster. I mean, I just think about like last year. It's I'm all still such living a blur. in twenty
2: twenty. So yeah,
1: I still write twenty twenty sometimes on the dates.
2: I do all the time at work I pay yeah. for And I write 2020 all the time Yes
1: But it's so easy To let time go by And like day by day You just get so swept up And like whatever it is Taking kids to this Doing Going to work Like for us Writing up show notes Doing all these interviews Like you know It's just really easy To put your relationship On the back burner And just to really Take the time To make sure that doesn't happen
2: I think you have to be Intentional with it You do I actually just, just Did like a random Q&A On my IG Because I was bored on Friday Friday and I was at the pool and I was like just feeling it Yeah. Um. and someone asked me which I didn't actually get around to answering the question on my IG because I just had so many but they asked like I'm so tired what's like an acceptable amount of time to like be intimate with your partner per week mm. and I think I'm gonna get around to like answering it on Instagram but I'm just gonna do it here for you guys since I feel like it kind of goes along with being intentional about putting your relationship first yeah is that it doesn't matter what is being good for Tori or what is good for Jacob because those might not be the same answer it's having the conversation with your significant other and coming to a answer that works for both of you yeah and you might have to meet in the middle somewhere sometimes on that but it can't be one-sided
1: yeah there's definitely times where like You know, I know that whatever I'm doing or something, my priority is not his, Mm -hmm. vice versa. But yeah, like you said, meeting in the middle. Yeah,
2: and having the open lines of communication to know what that middle ground is for you both. Because if you don't communicate it, you might think, well, I'm giving you what seems to be a suitable amount in your mind, but right. it might not be enough for them. Or it's
1: different kind of quality time than what you really need. Yeah.
2: Going back to even like I, yeah. what are your love languages and everything and exploring that, which we get into today, which yeah. is why I'm so excited. I to know. Have We're Sorry for
1: Miss Macy. Question of the week from the
2: listener. Okay. What do we got, Sam? What was the biggest surprise when you started your job in
1: healthcare? For me is how much truly as in, at least in the nurse role, we, we, have to do mm-hmm. or the amount of things you're coordinating teams understanding I think it, and and not only that how much you truly are educating families and patients like it's it's such a critical role but I don't think I realized how much it was the until amount of I was hats you have to wear a, yeah yes yeah like I think that's a huge piece that I just I didn't get that
2: I actually hate the word just a nurse yeah because you're so much more than a nurse even yeah.
1: and you are dipping into roles that aren't really what you thought you were going to be doing. So. Yeah. I also think something that's really interesting, Sam and I actually did another episode this morning and um, she brought, the doctor brought this up. She's a guest that we're having it soon about how broken the system is mm-hmm. in terms of support where support is needed from insurance. And like healthcare is such a huge, it's, it's just It's a
2: huge beast. Honestly, don't even get me started. I was like, I've been getting in Instagram comment fights on Nurse Life RN's (laughs) posts. The last. Oh my god, this is so funny.
1: Okay, wait, can we talk about it? Yeah.
2: So they posted um, a picture of a glove filled with warm water on top of someone's hand and said, "Oh, this was done to like mimic human touch on a COVID." patient patient that's in isolation and can't have visitors and I just left the comments that Mm -hmm. said or hear me out how about we do away with the ridiculous visitor policies and allow sick patients to
1: actually see their loved ones Yep, a lot of people agree with me Yes, And I think most doctors like. Okay. Also, shout out. We did a full episode on yes. this. You guys, no one should die alone. If yeah. you have not listened to that, go back and listen to our it in episode. December. It's a full episode on this. But yeah, she popped off on
2: this. But even more doctors. So it originally started with MD kind of speaking out about that. And now more doctors have been posting that like the visitor policies don't really have any science behind it. Yeah. And then someone was kind of arguing with me was like, well, we do this to prevent COVID patients from bringing covid into the unit and i'm like so you don't think the respiratory therapist or the nurse or the aide or the
1: doctor or just at a or barbecue the, yeah. or at a bar or the lab tech or anybody yeah. else is just as risk, you know and the reality too at this point is we have enough ppe we- well and then someone said that and they said not enough ppe to go around Shrug. and i said that's a bigger
2: problem like if you're just dismissing it at that level this isn't a conversation i can really have over instagram back and forth comment but you had you. to drop
1: it. I loved it. <laughs> but
2: it's that is a bigger societal issue of our and I wrote that. I was like, that's an issue with our healthcare infrastructure. Yes. To sit there and say that people have to suffer. Because I I commented too on Nurse Life R and I said it's a human rights
1: violation. Yeah, it is. The visitor restriction policy. And I oh, okay. stand
2: behind that comment.
1: Other other extension of that is by the way, pediatrics, we always had at least one parent at the bedside, no matter what. That and was you don't always... think those
2: parents, some of them were like being exposed to COVID? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not less exposed than anyone else yeah. in the community. They're we adults, never
1: stopped allowing at least one.
0: And parent it never at the became bedside. a
1: significant problem at our facility.
2: Yeah. But I just kind of think that overall our infrastructure of how we do healthcare with insurance and the way reimbursement is tied. And the whole system is meant, it's a business Mm -hmm. and it's meant to make money. So if we're not providing PPE or all the things, that's a problem. And that's a conversation that people aren't ready for. Mm -hmm. So just sit there and just say, well, there's not enough PPE so that we should basically violate human rights and cause... Mental anguish and suffering for our patients and our family because of financial reasons is absolutely bullshit. Yeah. When it costs like how much to make like Viagra and stuff like that. I'm like, give me a fucking
1: break. Yeah. And how much money, you know, and and it is an interesting thing. We're going on a tangent here. There's money for the things they want there to be money for. Well, and then the other, um, the gap between how much providers, nurses, all of us make over, let's say, you know, you've got a graph and we make this much money over 20 years versus how much the CNOs, the CFOs of these companies make. There's there are so many issues within the healthcare field that I think have to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Like to me, the fact that, you know, all these higher ups make so much more money than even our physicians. Mm -hmm. It is it boggles my mind. And I got my
2: master's degree in leadership. So I've seen some inner workings of hospital administration and
1: it's even baffling to be honest to our doctors i have had conversations with attendings who are not who under who see this as a problem mm-hmm. everyone is seeing this as a problem but anyway to get to the whole sum up of this <laughs> <laughs> the whole back to our point is you know i think for me it was just a shock of how much miscommunication how big of i think we a- grow up in
2: our country to think america's the best country in the world and the we way a lot we of work do, to do yeah and i my own family is all the time is like well you don't want socialized medicine and healthcare and blah 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 and i'm like i i have a lot of mixed feelings and i'm not going to go into politics right now and just like that's yeah way too much for a question of the week but <laughs> we should do a whole episode on this <laughs> in general i think that there's some happy middle, and we're not there. Yeah. Because the yeah. fact that people don't access healthcare because of it being so overpriced and they're going to go bankrupt just to get basic healthcare is unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that is kind of a shock when you start to get into it and you just see the inequalities and yeah it's it's the breakdown in the system yeah so that's a
1: good question Woo. guys good question
2: let's <laughs> let's uh, uh yeah it was let's sad. get into a nice zen zone now yeah. to talk some good mental health stuff so today we have macy grimm MS LPCC she's a licensed therapist and also a professor at Pepperdine University she specializes in children adolescents and parents she really uses play and adventure therapy she helps children communicate their feelings starting from a young age and then she also works with their parents to help facilitate
1: healthy loving relationships yeah we get into it today we talk about all the love languages we talk about tips and tricks and skills to help all of her patients she was also featured you guys in the LA Times Um, her article supporting your children's detrimental effects on social and emotional learning for children during the pandemic. She practices individual, group, teen, play, family therapy. Macy really takes a holistic and non-judgmental approach to counseling, which we both really loved. She uses humanistic, child-centered care, therapy this means that she strongly believes in meeting the child where they're at and working with the family developing strong foundations she was just honestly such a gem and mm-hmm. i don't know just something about her we we clicked with her immediately she was just so fun. i want to be your bestie. She's her bestie her energy to us so i'm yeah. like i
2: can't wait for pandemic stuff to end because i'm forcing myself
1: she's so fun her. loved her okay you guys without further ado let's dive into the show
0: little do you know i'm like i will do i can work with kids teens parents all the way when it comes to couples i'm like if no. i can talk to parents all day long when they start talking to each other and like bickering i'm like no too i can't handle back it back out <laughs> reverse <laughs> reverse yeah that's why i'm bad at my own relationship <laughs> i definitely have my specialty hey,
2: coaches
0: don't play Coaches don't oh, play. There the you game. Know. Say that. They watch the coaches. Coaches don't play. I like that.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's start off this episode with something really fun. <laughs> a hot topic. What is it like dating as a therapist?
0: Oh God. It's so hard. It really is. I feel like all of my friends tell me that I'm trying to find a special man that I need to make in a workshop or something like a <laughs> unicorn because I have this one side of me that's like the unhealthy toxic childhood stuff that I'm trying to work through that's attracted to a certain guy <laughs> and then the other side of me that is logical and observant and it's like the therapist side of me that is attracted to a certain different type of guy and to find someone that has both of those qualities um that fits very nicely together is virtually impossible like I'm kind of like battling myself with like what's healthy what's unhealthy what I'm attracted to what I'm not and so well it's don't go challenge. looking on
2: hinge because they're not on there the unicorn because <laughs> I'm looking for a unicorn and yeah. doesn't exist yeah it doesn't mm, they no. do they're out there somewhere okay. yeah
1: you just I, haven't found them I've on yet. I've given
2: up the apps, but
0: maybe this summer I'll
1: resume. Hmm. Are you on the dating apps?
0: I've given up the apps 10 plus times. I've redownloaded, given them up, redownloaded, given them up. Um, the worst part is you see the same people when you download again and you're like, <laughs> why are you
2: back? <laughs> you're like, I failed. You're I'm like, back. why are you still here, loser? And then this you're like, damn oh wait, al- they're the same thing about me. They're like, this girl again? <laughs> it's so true.
1: Oh, man. Swipe, swipe, swipe.
2: So do you find yourself as a therapist like going into therapist mode let me assess their uh, childhood traumas
0: yeah when I was in grad school is actually when it was the worst because it was the first time I was learning all of these concepts on human behavior and how to psychoanalyze people and so I was actually in a long-term relationship we were living together we were together for three years and I would go to school learn all this cool stuff come home and then like apply it to him <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and as you can see that coming from a mile away, it was a total fail because I was like telling myself I wasn't going to be a good therapist unless I could fix him, fix us. And he suffered from anxiety, depression. He had a really hard time transitioning into adulthood. Strangely, failure mm, um, to lunch. Yeah, and so then I I took on the job of like oh as his girlfriend I need to fix all his problems. And Coaches don't play. <laughs> I know that now. Coaches you know, don't play. Yeah. I was a measly twenty one year old when we got together. Almost a decade later, I realized that I see myself doing it, and I I have to turn it off. You know, like people always say when I'm even dating them and they find out what I do, they're like, oh you're going to psychoanalyze me and i actually have to like i consciously don't do that to people um because then it becomes enabling
1: yeah. and
0: there's like a power struggle of i need to help them and that becomes just like a toxic relationship that i don't want to be in and so yeah, that's I why do i've that, been
2: but i have like no Formal training, fact. I'm not mm. a therapist, and I'm still like, oh, they for sure. I like go around diagnosing people.
0: I need to help you. <laughs> that's why I've been single oh, for six years too. It's like I've cool. just avoided any and all relationships so that I don't do that. I actually think <laughs>
1: nurses do that too. Like we love the people that we can try and fix. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nurse curse too. Okay, so we're really fascinated by backgrounds and journeys. So for people who don't know you, can you give a little background about? your childhood where all this started?
0: I grew up my family and I we, we grew up actually really poor and my mom and my dad they were I mean my mom wasn't even 21 yet when she had my sister and so they were obviously very young parents um, and and when I say poor I mean like we ate hamburger helper we would go to the store and my mom would be like okay we're gonna try to make dinner for the five of us under a dollar and so that was like she turned it into a game. She was like, okay, how do we buy all the ingredients and make dinner under a dollar? Um, and this was back in Woodstock, Georgia, growing up. Um, and, like, Vienna Weenie sausages from the gas station. If any listeners out there know those, then you're my people. Like, we were – my dad doesn't like it. When I say poor, he says that we're supposed to say Broke. Because poor is a mindset. I don't know. But whatever. We were poor. Um, and so being really young, growing up poor, we didn't have a lot of resources. And I ended up being like the biggest shithead. Am I, am I allowed to little Oh, no, girl. Okay. Pop I was the biggest... Have you heard me? <laughs> 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 I was a little shithead teenager. Honestly, growing up, I would always try to sneak out of the house and hang out with boys and go to parties and all that type of stuff. And um, my relationship with my parents, we butt heads a lot. Um, And it got to a point where I was, you know, not doing well in school and I was getting into a lot of trouble. So my parents decided to put me in therapy and I ended up seeing this one therapist for the next nine years of my life. I saw her through college, grad school. Until she basically, like, fired me as a client. She was like, Macy, you don't need me anymore. Like, go, fly. <laughs> um, but even in college, I I got really lucky with the friend group I hung out with. At the time, my freshman year, I was partying a lot and hanging out with um, – I got really lucky with these girls because then they taught me how to have fun. And, like, they also didn't let me fail. So – By a mixture of that, going to therapy myself and then also having friends around that made sure I was doing really well in school and that I graduated college. Um, I remember seeing my therapist this one time in college when I was like freaking out about a breakup or something stupid. And she said something to me and I don't exactly remember what it was, but she said something in a way where I was panicking about everything that was happening around me externally. And then she made me realize these like strengths that I had internally. And it was this like shift in my perspective of the world and myself. All I remember is feeling that shift. And from then on, I viewed the world differently. I viewed my relationships differently. I viewed myself differently. And I was like, oh, my fucking God, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Like, I want to work with teenagers. I want to work with young adults. And this is what I want to do. I want to change lives and make an impact.
1: What a cool thing to have such strong friends and women around you. Because I feel very similarly. I feel very lucky for the front group that I had. And it's interesting how much I do feel like they helped shape who I am today. They mm-hmm. like have that support system. I feel like you're, Sam's like that for me, too.
2: I don't know where I'd be without my... My people girls, around my me, people. yeah. But I also think it's really interesting that your parents started you in therapy, like, yeah. kind of yeah. early on like that, because I think that's kind of rare. I think it's still pretty taboo where people think that there's, like, it's a weakness or there's something wrong with going, or a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, like, their children need help. Absolutely. Or they consider that maybe, like, a failure on their part or something. So I don't know. I think that's really cool. I know, like, I first started going to therapy in college, but fuck, I wish I went sooner. (laughs) Like... For sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I would lie. I was like, I gotta go to the doctor because I would have to leave <laughs> yeah. early from school. Yeah, and My friends are like, what's going on? They were like suspicious and I would just lie about it. I even lied about it in college. Mm-hmm. Same. I was like, Even as an adult, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just getting comfortable telling people that I talked to a therapist that same day, you know. Now right. I'm like, you need a therapist. You yeah. need a therapist. Right? <laughs> you need a therapist. It's weird if you don't go now. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. trendy now, which is great. It is. It's so That's, great. Yeah,
2: I'm here for that trend, like. Put your mental health in
0: check. Mm-hmm. Gen Z, I think, is uh, the reason for that
2: Oh, they have, shift to, like, in breaking the- barriers. Yeah. They had me great. worried with the Tide Pods and stuff. Like, early on, I was like, this is... <laughs> we were concerned. <laughs> we were concerned. We had valid concerns about Gen Z. Yeah. But now, aside from the personal attack on my skinny jeans and my side part, I have to say, like, I'm Dude, very proud awesome. with them for what they're doing for, like, social justice yes. and, yeah, even just the things that they're normalizing as far as mental health and stuff, keep it up, Gen
1: Z. Yeah. They're my favorite I'm generation. Here for them. Yeah, they're so great. Take us back to the mindset shift again. Like, I'm really interested in this and how it carried you through your practice. Can you speak on this a little more?
0: That shift happened to me when I was um, in college and a little bit even in my teenage years when I was still in, in high school, but it really happened in college because I was in a vulnerable place going through a breakup and, and things were just stressful, my grades were bad. And so that shift, I think, is something that has catapulted me into my everything that I do in my daily life, not only my career, but it's the way that I you know view my relationships like I said and it's just how I like to live my life. And what that looks like um, specifically is like I try to live by my values. Like everybody has values and maybe you have like a list of 10 values, but I'm talking about specifically narrowing it down to like three values and living that way and carrying out those values in all aspects of your life. Um, And I don't think that we're intentional enough about that. And so she kind of like planted the seed at that age. And then it's created the way that I even work with people now, teenagers, young adults now, um, getting really connected to and intentional about having value behavior alignment in your life all across the board can you dive into what your values are yeah so my top values my number one is health and that's physical health mental health emotional health health in my relationships Um, and then my my second one is connection so connecting with people which goes hand in hand with well actually I'm going to ask you guys do you know what makes two people connect with each other what makes human beings connect and Ooh, feel close don't look at me because I am <laughs> what would you guess toxic as you can guess
1: <laughs> um I would say along the lines of values if you align with someone mm-hmm. um I don't know I go into to like I'm very big on energy and like reading people and their energy I'm kind of mm-hmm. that's just something that I'm like I don't know intuitive but I don't know how to pinpoint that's really tough.
0: So those are really good guesses and so (laughs) the one the one piece of connection and there's Brene Brown does a lot of research on her. I love her. I love love her. And what creates connection with two humans is vulnerability. So, mm-hmm. if one person's vulnerable and the other person accepts you for your vulnerabilities, that creates connection and a oh, sense right. of bondedness. Oh.
2: Vulnerable, but Tori, you seen do me through me, everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tori's seen We do that to each my, other. Yeah, no, things. Sam. I feel like you're like I was even Facebook stalking. I mean, Instagram stalking you, and I <laughs> felt connected to you by your vulnerability just on your social media. Like I think that it's creates actually easier connection. Easier to
2: be vulnerable with like strangers. Yeah on social media like I will be super raw and honest about like mental health stuff and things but I think it's a lot harder to be that way with someone I'm like romantically interested in or dating mm. like that
1: we should dive
0: into that right. Right. because I then that be
2: again. Yeah, yeah. could lead to rejection no, I mean I've been in, it. Yeah. <laughs> in and out of it forever but yeah that I think it's a lot easier to be vulnerable with strangers than it is with someone that you're like worried because like I don't care what all these strangers think if they don't accept me cool keep it moving right. but then it's like the rejection of someone that you do care about and you do want their acceptance I think that's the like fear yeah oh damn totally mm. we're in a therapy <laughs> session right now right? here we yeah, go
0: I know <laughs> I love we're it we're like in a group therapy session it's I know so great. these
2: couches are very comfortable because Tori has one two three four <laughs> five so six pillows. seven nine ten pillows i'm getting blown up right now so it
0: is a very comfy little therapy
2: couch yeah it that is. we're recording this on it
0: is do you want me to tell you my third value yeah yes. oh yeah what's your third value okay yeah okay. so third one just can be my th- my favorite but it is my third um is play and adventure Ooh, so that's a huge that. one for me that's why i do play therapy i'm very like playful in my way of being you mm-hmm. know and that's what drew me, me to people. you huh that's what
1: drew me to you I was gonna say that very mm. much
2: gives me Tori vibes because yeah. Tori's very really, yeah. like you were just fun. so
1: like there's this deep wisdom in you but it's also you're very fun and I very feel like you attract
2: like a very good energy though because I met you for the first time today but like the second you walked upstairs I was just talking to you like I've known you forever yeah. and I don't know you just have like a good you have
1: such good energy energy oh, that radiates you.
2: that it's easy to kind of like just but it's also like calming becomes, energy I don't yeah. know there's
0: something about you it's very oh, really good. I had a lot of yeah. coffee and like, did a meditation or two <laughs> oh, I don't feel so great.
1: do
2: you have values Tori but you like because um, it's hard now I'm like questioning myself and I'm like I, I couldn't yeah. I would have to sit here and think about it yeah so it kind of like bums me out when I'm like that's something I feel like I should know and I don't so now I'm like assigning myself Dude, my I've work.
0: been doing this work for years to figure out what yeah. my values are I don't know what mine are. Yeah. I would like to
1: have them. I mean, I have a lot of
2: values, but I couldn't sit here and be like, these are my top three. Mm
1: -hmm. I really liked yours of um, wellness or health, mental and physical. I do feel like I try and tap into that. I love the idea of community. And I think that's why this podcast kind of started is because I really, I really value that. And I think pulling connection and connecting people is something that I've Mm -hmm. always really loved and getting to know someone. Mm -hmm. Um, third one, I think is just almost like humanization, like humans and just really embracing every human being. And I know that's a big piece of you too, which is, we're going to get into that today, but mm-hmm. you're very passionate about humans. And I think that's something that I, I don't know how to make that into a value, but yeah. I'm
2: going to do some homework on mine. I've started journaling. Oh, like, so good. I've been doing you know. it for a week. And I think that's already helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm not a journaly I'm not a touchy feely emotional person at all. So mm-hmm. journaling is really hard. I'm like, I don't know what to write. So I found an app for it that actually kind of asks you questions because I can't just sit there with a blank journal and just like mm-hmm. write out things. I would just be like, da, da, da. This is dumb. Like I'm, <laughs> I would. So um, yeah. what app? It's called Jur, J-O-U-R. I don't know. I saw it on TikTok.
0: Mm. It
2: was like TikTok knew, like, this bitch needs to get her shit together. (laughs) And so I was like, well, what do I have to lose? And then now I feel like that's been really good. So it's been, like, forcing me to answer questions. I feel like I'm going to do some homework on this.
0: There's research that shows when you journal, it helps the information integrate into your brain. So that's why... it makes you feel so good. Yeah, because no, I, like, honestly notice a difference
2: feel. even after one week. And then it yeah. ends with, like, some breathing exercises, which I would like to do. But, again, I'm such, like, an immature person where I can't take things
1: seriously. So <laughs> Yeah, but that's, do, I like, think that's your coping mechanism. Or- I think it's a coping mechanism and humor. Yeah. You do I'm a lot so of that. Funny. Annalise is like that, too, my cousin. Like, you, you are, but I you love blow too. off things. You, I blow off everything. Yeah, with humor. <laughs> and I think it's, like... It's your defense defense mechanism for sure. I don't know,
2: but it also makes me like fun at
1: parties. You are. It's such a good one. It's (laughs) It's a good defense
0: mechanism to have. I'm the same. But like to do breathing exercises
2: is Mm -hmm. something that I would never do on my own. But at the end of journaling, the app makes you do breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. and after I do it for like a minute, I'm like, wow, I feel better, and I'm like, why am I so stubborn and like, think I'm too cool for journaling or breathing exercises. I'm for sure not. So I don't know. I'm here for it. So yeah. I'm, like, definitely, like, bettering myself in 2021.
1: Yeah. I love that. But uh, what drew you into mental health and to therapy?
2: Mm-hmm. Like, did you go into
0: college saying, I'm going for, mm-hmm. like, this degree? Or yeah. did you find it along the way? So I tried to major in psychology, but it was very science-based. And even in high school, like, my parents would always be like, Oh, you know, at some point, like, everyone finds out if they're analytical and very science-based and, you know, they like math or whatever, or you're going to be good at English and writing and spelling and all that stuff. And I wasn't good at either (laughs) until I took a psychology class. And I was like, wow, like... I love this. This is so cool. I'm so good at it. And so I majored in psychology at first, and then it was very science-based. A lot of the brain development, synapses, and mitochondria, and all that type Mm -hmm. of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is really hard. And so I actually changed my major to family and child sciences, Mm -hmm. which was more applicable to like clinical skills and um, understanding children development, teen development, humans in general. And so I actually majored in and it was the easiest major at Florida State. I went to Florida State. Forgot to mention that. So it was <laughs> a little difficult to, <laughs> yeah. to get the grades that I needed to get because I knew I had to go to grad school. So I went with the easiest major Um, And I think I got really lucky because um, the grad program that I went to, even in my interview, they were saying that they look for a lot of balance in people. Like um, if you have all A's in this program, could be signs of like perfectionism, anxiety. And so um, I got into my grad program at Georgia State University in Atlanta. And I remember one day in the class, I had, there were like people that would go extra early to class and sit at the front with their notes and um, and I would kind of like mosey in, in my athleisure wear, planning on going to the gym at some point and like Me. Yeah. <laughs> no. And so and I kind of sat in the back. I remember there was a class where I was painting my nails in and I was like, Oh my god, looking back at that now you. as an adult, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um and I remember there was a class uh where we had supervision. And I was just so good with teens because I was easygoing, type B personality. I wasn't super perfectionist and anxiety driven. And it was just very laid back and I was good at building rapport. And I just remember coming home and my boyfriend at the time, he like was having a hard time acclimating to adulthood. And so he would have like bad days every day. And I went into the bathroom and I just talked to my dad on the phone to tell him how good of a day that I had. And I just cried, like uncontrollably cried. And I was like... I cannot believe I found a profession where my type B personality, being late to class, like more easygoing playfulness in grad school, like works for me, helps me build rapport with people, helps me be really good with teenagers because they are kind of like that too. And right. um, so pairing that with then the knowledge and the research and, and, and the books that you read and you know all of that crap you can you can always do um but it felt like to the root of who I was as a person was a really good fit for how I wanted to spend my career that is absolutely that's like a
2: very calming feeling too when you kind of finally like oh I found it I didn't have to fake it yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah. I could have used you when I was a teen (laughs) so I want to dive into that because the patient population you work with is Mm -hmm. I think it's remarkable and I don't know I don't I know teens I'm like that's so um like I think back to my teenage years and I was a shit.
2: I was an <laughs> asshole.
1: I was yeah. And I'm like to rein that in. Yeah.
2: That I love that to
1: population have... too though. I've always yeah.
2: cuz I worked at a group home with teenagers. Mm-hmm. I
1: seriously wanted like what you're
2: doing was always my dream career. Mm-hmm. I was a psych major and then I switched to nursing. And I worked like I was a cheerleading coach for teenagers. And then I worked at a group home for teenagers. And I love that population. They're so funny. They're Mm. so, I mean, it is not for everyone. Mm -mm. But that is my favorite population.
0: So the way that I work with all of my teenager and young adult clients, it's kind of in three different sections. The first piece of it is um, self-identity. all of self-esteem um, becoming because in that in that age range you're trying to figure out who you are and what you can offer the world and like even when you go to school every day you're kind of like bouncing off your personality to people and trying new pe- personalities on like do they like this do they not like this are they going to make fun of me if I wear
2: this identity um, versus role confusion exactly Erickson's psych social stage pediatric nursing professor Love that. yes. that's on uh oh I left Got on it. that tomorrow Oh, 8 see, there you
0: exactly go. exactly so um so being able to sit with them in that space of um figuring out where they belong instead of fit in so we are biologically rooted to be around other humans and be with each other you know in the archaic times when we were cavemen it's it's kind of like a fight or flight response because if you broke your leg and you couldn't keep up or if you were too far from your tribe then you would literally die you get eaten by a lion and you die and modern day what that feels, what's that like for teenagers is when you walk into lunch and you don't have someone to sit with your sympathetic nervous system is in you fight or like flight mode and you feel like you're going to die exactly and yeah. so that's very anxiety provoking and scary. Um, so getting to a point where you can identify with who you are as a person, be clear on your values, um, you know, that value behavior alignment where you might have a teenager say, one of my biggest values is family. And yet they're sneaking out of the house and lying to their parents. The, the misaligned values and behavior is what causes distress within people. And so, Instead of them feeling like, you know, I don't discipline them, obviously, I'm their therapist. And so it's a totally different space than they have with anyone else in their life where they can just sit back and say, instead of feeling defensive so they don't get in trouble of why they're doing things, they can sit back and say, okay, instead of feeling extrinsically motivated to not do something, so not doing something because their friends are telling them not to or their parents or whatever external motivation, they want to feel then internally motivated not to do something. And so that is creating a strong foundation of your values and your morals and your belief system and your sense of confidence and sense of self um, and that is kind of like the first piece of working with them um, instead of just feeling like they have to come up with the excuses of why they're doing things. It's like, okay, intrinsic motivation. Um, I want to care about my grades because this is what I want my life to look like. And I want to not sneak out of the house because I want to be a good daughter or whatever. Um, not do drugs because I care about my body. And so that's like the first step to finding a place of belonging because when you know your values and you're clear with them, that second piece is then finding a tribe of people who you surround yourself with who share your same values. And so it's not, okay, who wears the same shoes as I do, or says the same jokes as I do. That's a sense of fitting in. Um, A sense of fitting in is like, I'm going to make myself look like everybody else, sound like everybody else. Having a sense of belonging is more of an internal process where you create your mold of what it looks like. And then you try to figure out around you has a similar mold um and so that's that tribal mentality and when i first moved here to california from atlanta i met this guy his name is philip folsom and he is incredible like i remember i would just he's an anthropologist and he does a lot of kind of like group therapy work and do you guys do you guys watch the office mm-hmm. girl do you, <laughs> yeah do we do we? You, yeah. go, you know that part where um he goes like oh you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't make quote Wayne Gretzky quote quote, Michael Scott that is literally me with Philip Folsom he says all of this cool shit and then I'm just like telling everybody else and I'm like Mm -hmm. oh by the way Philip Folsom says that but that is also quoted by me (laughs) um he studies veterans and he is a veteran um and how veterans have this very collectivist culture and other cultures as well obviously have this like in Africa they have a collectivist culture and we're very individualist culture Mm -hmm. where we're like lone wolf mentality um we have very closed and rigid walls to our home you know um you don't invite everybody over like in Colombia. like people just come next door and eat dinner together or whatever Um, and so he studies veterans and he went to africa to study tribes and there were these tribes where they literally didn't have a word for my so if they said, like, mm-hmm. my hamburger, my child, you know, my water, whatever mm-hmm. it is, the only word would be our. So they say our children, our hamburger, mm-hmm. our water. And um, so the African proverb that he always says, who I'm, like, quoting the African proverb, <laughs> quoting Philip Folsom, <laughs> and then now I'm you can quote me. Um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, I love that and so yeah yeah, having that tribal mentality when you're finding a sense of belonging that feels organic that feels natural and surrounding yourself with people that have similar values that's that second piece that's so difficult and so in there you work on healthy boundaries um you know finding that alignment of your values and behaviors and other people even when like I'm the kind of person, and Sam, we were kind of talking about this before, where in 2020, you like cut a lot of people out. And I don't have time for people in my life that don't have the same values as me. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. it back in the day, like party friends, they served a purpose. And now if you don't have those similar values, I even, funny enough, like met Tori at a party. Mm-hmm. And I smelled the growth mindset a mile away. I was like, "You." <laughs> we
1: both were drawn. Yes, I like
0: met you, and I was like,
1: "Oh my god!" I literally called. She called me the next day, Sam, and I was like, "We have to get her on the podcast."
0: Yeah, because we were talking about health, yes. and connection, it was and Tori vulnerable. and I mostly like
2: text. She literally called. No, me I called
0: her.
1: Like,
2: okay, so I met this girl. You yeah. are going to, to love die. Her. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, we. I
1: just. But Tori sang. knows I'm
2: like all about. That's yeah. why, like your energy when I first met you I was like oh yes but Tori like already knew she's like this girl Mm. you're gonna love her yeah
0: and it's been the hardest process to realize your values and then realize people in your life that don't necessarily align with you it's hard too when there's people that
2: you want Mm -hmm. them to align with you and they don't and having to admit like once upon a time our relationship was something but now it's not and it's really hard to acknowledge that because you want so badly them to have, to have grown with you and maybe they didn't. and that's
0: so hard to acknowledge and to even then give up. It is so hard. And I think that that's been a challenge of mine just for the past few years. I've been learning how to distance myself and um, and surround myself by like-minded individuals and I I kind of the way that I think about it now even with, Everything I'm doing in my career and even my social life, um, I'm I'm kind of like on this train, and I can't slow down. If you don't want to also be on the train, mm-hmm. anybody that wants to be on it, cool, awesome. You want to mm-hmm. talk about health? You want to talk about wellness? Yeah. Um. You know. You want to have these things in common because you're passionate about them too. Jump on the train. But I all aboard. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I would be doing myself and honestly my tribe and. My work and everyone around me, my relationships, a disservice if I slowed down for you,
2: right? Yeah, um, or waited. I think that's why Tori and I have become so connected at the hip, though, yeah. because we are on, on a train. mission right we're now. On a train. Our train has left the station full steam, and mm-hmm. yeah. we love the people around us. Yeah. But it's either like get on
1: board our train, or yeah, right. we're Chew see you chewing later. Off I into do feel like <laughs> our life trajectory over, especially over the past year, is really like, yeah, we're on a train. Yeah, we're going. You know what I'm excited for, Sam? What's Hot girl summer. Say less. <laughs> I
2: love me a hot girl summer, and I am prepping for that right now with Just Thrive Probiotics. It is taking care of my gas, my bloating situation, indigestion, my old age heartburn <laughs> that's happening. And one of the biggest benefits is skin. Mm. So the changes in my skin Same. are starting to show since I've started taking it, and I and locked and loaded for skin no sleep
1: your mood all the things. yeah we know my mood needs
2: <laughs> all the help we can get so thank you for that yes
1: all right a little bit about the products you guys they have 100 percent survivability once digested they are vegan non-gmo soy-free dairy-free sugar-free salt free, nut and gluten free as well. They're clinically proven strains for leaky gut with nine other ongoing human clinical trials. They are powerful immune and brain support. Say goodbye to your uncomfortable bloating, embarrassing and gassy leaky gut. And guess what? We even have a code for you guys, the selfie listeners. If you head over to just thrive.com Use code SELFIE15, you will get 15% off any order. Head over to justthrive.com, use code SELFIE15, justthrive.com, code SELFIE15. All right, you guys, let's get back into the show. I'm curious your thoughts on um, the past year with how COVID has affected people in general. Mm -hmm. Because finding your tribe, right? Like you and I met at a party. And, you know, teens obviously finding their people and their tribe is like a one-on-one
0: interaction. But how do you, how do you feel COVID has affected our, everyone? Honestly, it, it's so sad that all of these businesses are going down. I'm busier than I've ever been because yeah. people are suffering. They're in imagine. pain and they're hurting. I'm glad in the sense, though, that you are busy, meaning people, people are, are actually seeking yep. you out mm-hmm. instead yep. of
2: just taking – the hurt and the pain and bottling it up or trying to take it on their own. Yeah. I'm glad that people are actually going to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this pandemic has been a perfect example. And I was preaching this even prior to the pandemic of how loneliness mm-hmm. is literally killing us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like feeling lonely cause it comes with feelings of depression, anxiety, um, even like inflammation in our bodies which causes Mm -hmm. disease and uh so that was something that I was preaching prior to the pandemic and then now uh, supposedly we're you know supposed to be more connected in our world now than ever before right like Mm -hmm. with technology and social media um if there was somebody from my high school that I wanted to reconnect with I could literally find them right now on Facebook even if they were living in Japan and if you like to high school with me though please don't follow <laughs> Yeah, me. i don't want to connect with you uh, yeah. but however with the rise of technology we're actually more disconnected uh just to being vulnerable even which causes real connection than posting all these things that where our lives are perfect and you know we get into this comparison trap um and now with the pandemic i feel like we have to do things to mitigate the already snowball effect of the detrimental of impact that this pandemic is going to make. Like, I don't think we can even grasp how much we're going to have to like undo because of this pandemic. I think the future is going to be probably classes like in elementary school and high school for just socially connecting with each other. I think the future of therapy is group work and learning how to heal each other. Um, I do adventure therapy and I went to a conference in Australia and I met this woman from Botswana and she was telling me how our way of doing adventure therapy, I don't know if you guys know of this, but it's where a kid goes backpacking for like 30 days out in the wilderness and um, Outward Bound also does that here. Mm -hmm. And so, and then they come back and then they're supposed to be like fixed, right? And she was saying in Botswana that they do they still, the teen will go off and do their retreat or whatever to learn the skills of communicating. And then she says that they also spend like two weeks with the community on teaching them how to then accept the child back into the community and so not only the parents but the neighbors the schools the teachers like everybody that interacts with this child um, you have to learn how to do things different and accept them back into the community and so with this pandemic I was forced to it's really hard to do virtual therapy with kids. Like they'll, they'll just like set you up at like this fake tea party or whatever and then like run off and forget about you. And you're like, hello. <laughs> so I was forced to actually work a lot more with the parents and it has completely transformed my practice um, to do a lot more parent work, a lot more family work. And a quote that I usually use to kind of help parents understand the importance of what they're doing with their children is if a flower is not growing properly, you don't adjust the flower You adjust the soil so if it's it's really environment right the environment and you know you can work one-on-one the The
2: gardener who's the gardener the parent
0: Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and so you can work one-on-one with these teens or whoever you know teaching them the skills and how to communicate and healthy boundaries and all that stuff um but for the integration of things Mm -hmm. to really shift in their world it's working with their teachers their parents people in their life their family um, so the pandemic has really transformed my practice in that way where I do a lot, a lot more family work. That's really interesting.
2: I think that's like a huge aspect because you look at just the way if you people even look inward and see the way that they were raised, even if they do a ton of therapy work and self-growth and mm-hmm. learn a lot and improve their communication skills and all of that. It still starts with how you were raised. Right. And if you're the only one that does that and no one else in your family has done that work too that makes it really challenging so I kind of like that you are working with the population but the fact that you can also work with their families is going to make it so much better for everyone
0: yeah yeah because
2: it's hard when you're the only one doing the work the work right yeah
0: and you can spew a lot of bullshit in therapy too Mm -hmm. you know like your therapist will never know oh I have
2: totally like (laughs) totally bullshitted my therapist before in like the old days where I'm just like oh my god I'm like rock star like do I get a gold star in therapy right right you're like I'm doing so well and then there's no such thing as like a gold star in therapy like but you yeah you try to like act like you've got it so together and it's like
0: and then in family work and then you know if if you're in couples work with your partner they call you on your bullshit you know yeah, yeah so so that's the second piece is the tribal work and then the third piece so once you have this strong foundation of yourself and then your tribe who also shares your values you are then stronger and bigger and better to go out into the world and to make a difference and so that would be the the piece of finding your purpose and your purpose is something that you love you love doing that you're passionate about you're good at it it helps people and it makes you money that those mm. all those combined together that is your purpose and so once you have your army and your values you go out into the world and you're like okay how do I want to make a difference how do I want to give back how do I want to help others um and that I believe this is a personal opinion is how you also like create meaning in your life it's mm. connecting with others helping people and giving back
1: Let's talk about the correlation between mental health and physical health. Because mm. I think this is something that we we're talking off camera about this. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's, you have your practice, right, in the mental health, and we have in nursing and healthcare, we have physical health. But
0: I think there's huge disconnect. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my God, it's such a disconnect. I feel like you are doing a disservice by talking about one without the other with any person you're helping. Mm-hmm. Um, And for some reason, it's just set up that way, whether it be financial purposes. I have found that my best friend is a nurse practitioner and she specializes in women's health and hormones and that type of stuff. And just learning and talking with her all of the time, we can talk for days about the way that it connects and the ways that they overlap. And it makes me upset that I work with a lot of pro bono clients just because social justice is like growing up poor and then being in this field it's something that tugs on my heartstrings and I'm working so diligently with these people that don't have a lot of resources and under-resourced populations um with the mental health stuff they've got that down however I can't speak to and it's out of my scope to speak to even though it's my interest how what you're eating every day impacts your mental health and your physical health um, and I'm sure that you see that as nurses too. You know, like if somebody's coming in over and over again, you're like, oh, this is not so much physical as it is mental. I mean, they overlap and they go, they just are so... They're hand in hand. They are. They really yeah. are. Mm-hmm. And and we don't have a system that supports people getting the holistic view of health and wellness if they don't have a shit ton of money to mm-hmm. pay for right. it. Yeah. No, you're well, and right I think right. a lot
2: of times your physical health takes a serious toll if your mental health is in a good place I know when I that's the first thing that I give up on is like my physical health when my mental health isn't in a good place about what I eat about exercising about taking care of my body even just like general good sleep habits and all the like daily wellness things if I'm not like feeling in a good mental state I don't do any of that and that is like, I think something I've realized over the course of years in therapy and battling eating disorder, depression, all that stuff. But it's so many people, Don't really I don't know I think people get stigmatized especially for like weight issues or people that are unhealthy that just like oh you just need to take better care of yourself Mm -hmm. and it's like it's not as simple as that because they're not in a mental place where they can so that's easy for you to say if you're in a good mental state it's just so simple we'll just eat better we'll just Mm -hmm. work out we'll just take better care of yourself and it's like yeah but their mental state isn't in a place where they can do those things yet
0: right and it's kind of This chicken or the egg situation where if you don't have the money for healthy food, if you don't have access to healthy food, if you're in a place where or in a position in your life where you don't have a car to bring home all of these wonderful fruits and vegetables from Whole Foods um, or you're living in an area of like food deserts, if you don't have all of that down And your hormones are imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason you're depressed or anxious or, you know, you're working three jobs and you don't have time to cook. Mm -hmm. It's this chicken and the egg situation where, you know, is your physical health impacting your mental health? Or is it your mental health that's impacting your physical health? And it's just a shit show. You almost get
2: stuck in this, like, cycle of both of them. Like,
0: disordered
1: eating. And then
0: they, yeah, and if say that they come to see a pro bono therapist and the therapist is like, work on self-care, self-care. And I'm like, God, like, that can feel offensive to people Mm -hmm. to suggest sometimes when they're working so many jobs yeah and you're just like i don't have i can't just go to have a spa day or a day off yeah not
2: only do you not have the time but you probably don't even financially have the money to sit there and be like oh Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go get
1: a massage right well it's interesting too like exteriorly it's so hard to be a family member on the other side it's interesting Mm -hmm. because we were talking about this off camera with sam this last weekend, so we I have a long history of having really interesting mental health issues within my family, right? My brother's bipolar. My cousin is undiagnosed something. And this last weekend, she, um, over a holiday, which my family's going to kill me for saying this, but she was so in a state of she literally could not get out of bed depression slash maybe borderline suicidal. And so there it was a crisis in our family, right? Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to understand it even as like a family member. And so it's interesting because I'm so passionate about having professionals and having someone like you to be able to come in and say, how are we going to fix the brain so we can eventually mm-hmm. fix the physical? Because she's in a state where she can't even like take care of herself. Right. And we just... There's so many people out there, and she's lucky enough that she has family where, like, we literally are, like, a hawk on her right now. Like, there's... I think she's
2: also lucky that you guys understand... Yes. ...that it's, like, something bigger than... Yes. ...than just get out of bed. Yes. Like, there's no And way. I feel like I felt very misunderstood my whole life where people are like, mm-hmm. well, why don't you just be happy? Or right. why do you sleep in all day? Why do you just go outside? Just do this. Just eat better. And it's, like, it's no. not that easy. So yeah. I think she's... 100% fortunate to have people around her that understand mental health in that aspect yeah. we're saying like hey we need to get you resources we need to get you help because a lot of families don't, don't. understand and they really when they don't understand they're like why well, I don't understand why can't you just yeah. think happy it's like it's not that easy well
1: that's kind of what you were saying too is it takes the whole community right it's like it's not just the person it's not just her work it's also our work. And I think that's really important to talk about. And it's interesting because she does, you know, our family has this whole long history of it. But for her, her physical health definitely deteriorates significantly, even before her mental health. Like, she kind of has this interesting, like, swing. But yeah, I think it's just so interesting. Like, to learn about it exteriorly. And it's hard to understand as, as an exterior person, I think this touches on healthcare providers, right? Like where we just don't understand you're in the emergency room again and you're drunk again, or you're high again. And it's, right. you know, and, and, to us externally, sometimes is frustrating. And the way we get treated by patients, you know, I mean, ED and ICU, I know all these providers they get so highly frustrated. They are stigmatized.
0: Yeah. Our, our society tends to blame the person who mm-hmm. is struggling, that mm-hmm. they're not doing enough, that they're not working hard enough. Um, and I think that this is what is so incredible about even Gen Z and their population and why I love working with them so much is that their use of technology, even though it's making us disconnected in a lot of ways, is a free way of blasting out a ton of information to mm-hmm. people that might not have the availability to have that kind of information. Mm-hmm. And so for people that don't necessarily have the ability to go see a hormone specialist or whatever it may be, um, they hopefully you can get on the internet and read as much as possible. Also finding groups where you connect with other people, you know, with someone Uh, a family member of an addict, I always suggest going to these Al-Anon groups to connect with others because there's so little, you feel so hopeless and Mm -hmm. helpless when a family member is struggling with something. So then finding your tribe and connecting with people while you go through this to get that support system is essential. You can't do it on your own because then you can learn so much information about other people's experience, um, get help with your own experience, and then also kind of learn when you're enabling a family member that might be going Mm -hmm. through something by actually trying to help too much yeah um like stepping in the way of the professional that's a big thing yeah
1: yeah I mean because you want to protect your person but then it's it's almost like you can love them to death Mm -hmm. I talked about that I wrote a little article a blog post on that about the things that I've learned of of being a family member of someone with bipolar disease and we had to step out of the way Right, we had to like not love you to death. We had to let it go, and we had to let the professional step in. And I'm curious, maybe as an extension to that, what are some tips you can leave or provide for our healthcare providers out there that are seeing mm. people struggling, maybe teens? Because I know even Sam, Sam picks up teens. I have to say, the amount of overdose calls I've went on in 2020,
2: uh, transport of like not non accidental overdoses has been through the roof and just even our suicidal ideation population has been I don't have numbers but it has gone up oh maybe so you do you have much. some numbers
1: of that or like how has this last year affected yeah so weeks? I don't
0: have specifically with teens but for suicide and you know pairing that with loneliness in general um I do have some numbers. So through the dates from the years of 1999 through 2018, uh, suicide rates in the U.S. have increased 35 percent from 10.5 per 100,000 people to 14.2 per 100,000 people. And then in 2020, when we were going through the pandemic, it was um, 47,511 people, which is 14.5 per 100,000 people. So it's been going up. It's been doing nothing. Suicide rates are only going up at this point. As with the rise of, I'm doing air quotes, connectedness through technology. So I think that shows us a lot of how disconnected but connected we really are.
2: What do we do about that? (laughs) And even, I mean, you touched on how social justice is kind of a big personal area that you feel strongly about. And we have a huge, like, underserved communities in this country and yeah what does that even kind of like look like to you
0: yeah i think that advocacy is a huge part of being in the helping profession in general where you notice that these underserved populations are not getting what they need and so making sure that you're aware of that cognizant of the struggles knowing how you can vote for things to be different um, in those areas and then also just like talking with people about it like a lot of people don't know how um, you know they don't know about food deserts they don't know how this is impacting lower socioeconomic status people Um, especially if you have money you can dig your head in the sand and not have to think about it or see it ever so Mm -hmm. forcing yourself to get out of your comfort zone um, like I purposefully live in an area that's not predominantly white I think it's I'm a white person and I think that's really good for me and so like preaching that to people living that way so that you can impact the tiny little community that you live in um, as much as you can teaching being in a teaching role Sam I think it's really good like dropping kind of those um, bits of information to people and healthcare professionals that they don't know and so how it can be the healthcare profession in a lot of ways can be like discriminatory or there's research that is done on predominantly white people which happens a lot in health in mental Mm health care where um, I had this I teach at Pepperdine and we had this curriculum and as I was showing YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video. Sadly, it took me a while before it dawned on me that I was like, these are all of white middle-class families. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'll say that too as like a nurse in the nursing world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope there's a change happening, but a lot of the curriculum that we do, it's very white-based. No, people don't Everything even learn is, how to yeah. pr-
2: accurately or appropriately assess people of color. And yeah, a, lot of even, a lot of things are set up in the healthcare space to exclude or are kind of against people of color right off the bat like certain lab tests and values Mm -hmm. and they'll factor in race into that and it shouldn't factor into that because that does then re tie into insurance and reimbursement and things Mm -hmm. like that and it ends up becoming very discriminatory Mm -hmm. and we need a huge overhaul in our it's not even just nursing it's medical school Mm -hmm. and everything like that too what they're teaching
0: and how we're diagnosing and assessing. With the Black Lives Matter movement and the Stop Asian Hate movement that Gen Z is just, you know, all on top of, which is great. I'm like riding their coattails. Um, But it is forcing institutions, like Pepperdine is starting to create um, these classes that you can like optionally take, which is dumb, um, of how to create a um, more inclusive, non-racist classroom, um, and for example, like in the mental health field and knowing working with under resourced populations, um, even the DSM, the DSM 5, is most of the research is done on predominantly white communities mm-hmm. and people. So uh,
2: knowing that. So you might be even misdiagnosed or not diagnosed with something at all because. Right. so for example, of, how of that. How you were raised or mm-hmm. brought
0: um, up. Bla- there was a there was a uh, research done on black boys um, who were overdiagnosed and misdiagnosed as ADHD, having ADHD symptoms mm. where they were hyperactive and inattentive. And what the research shows is that they actually had PTSD, mm. so a history of trauma, and yet you know when they're going to school. Their symptoms looked like ADHD, so they lived their entire lives with a misdiagnosis of having attention problems. And probably when really it was medicated, yeah, and being medicated for that, and then exactly. they're not even addressing their trauma from
2: mm-hmm. the PTSD. Mm-hmm. That's so unfortunate. Yeah,
0: and I see that, yeah. and so um,
1: you're getting to the root,
0: right? And knowing just that small minuscule example but applying it to the way that we work in general in healthcare of like we need more research we need mm-hmm. to be talking about this um white people need to be talking about it with their white friends mm-hmm. like this is something that that needs to be addressed and changed and i think gen z is going to like they're so on top of it and they're so they're leading they care like mm-hmm. even during <laughs> it was so cool I work with Gen Z a lot and even during this this election they're not even able to vote and they were like sitting on my couch crying yeah and I'm like what what like well, I did not so care about there, politics kind of in like high school raising awareness mm-hmm. about like go out and vote and all that yeah they care so much and I'm like I didn't this I was not like this at my age but it's just part of like their generation they want to fix things they want to make things better for everybody and make sure everything's very inclusive and um i think it is the one piece of
2: having access to information so when we grew up we didn't know anywhere other than your city that you grew up in and your school because you're not we didn't have any social media so you're not seeing how anyone else lives or anything unless you had parents that took you out of your element and you traveled and you got out and you saw things you were super in your bubble. And I grew up in Orange County in a super micro bubble. Mm-hmm. And even in high school, we just still didn't have social media, again, in my bubble. And the older I got and the more I actually read, watched things, listened to people from other <laughs> communities, yeah. it it is. Yeah. And it's like, they're getting access to that from the youngest age to really see like my existence of reality isn't other people's yeah. reality. Right. right. And my version of America isn't necessarily someone else's experience or version of America. And so I think that's why they're able to, I don't know, they just have such a bigger like heart but well, I think also a big other people. piece of
1: that is being okay with that and understanding that and mm-hmm. also like being able to take it a step further and being like, that wasn't my reality, but how can I make it better?
2: Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what our generation's experiencing because we're like kind of coming to the realization of like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is how I was raised. This is how what I was exposed to. But now I'm seeing more and able to do more and I'm capable of better. And how can I use my voice for good? Whereas they're getting kind of raised in that and they're just coming out the like gate swing is right. like totally oh, make the CD- change.
0: The CDC actually um is projecting that by twenty sixty, so in forty years ish, um, that it's going the population is going to be forty four percent white and then it just breaks down other uh, racial groups. But it's like we have to modernize modernize the way that we do things mm-hmm. because the majority is not going to be the majority anymore. Minorities are going to be the new minorities, and so we have to pick up the pace. We got to yeah, figure, figure out, and um, we have to figure out new ways of doing things that are more modern and take into account everybody's experience and everybody's racial and ethnic background in the healthcare system. We're so gonna have no
2: choice. What about access to mental health care just in our country's system with? I know even me, I have insurance from two jobs, but it's still not very
1: affordable for me Mm -hmm. to go to therapy. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And I will say this, even this last weekend with my cousin, we were even thinking about trying to get her admitted to uh, anything and they were all full. Mm -hmm. So we had, we were like, okay, we honestly don't have an option there. And then I just remember trying to even get, one of her doctors on the phone it was just it's like it's hard it's just so hard to navigate yeah what are your thoughts on this?
0: it is so difficult and it seems as if the the therapists that are very effective and efficient don't have to take insurance Mm -hmm. and so um they are less likely to work with uh with a sliding scale or Mm -hmm. pro bono clients and um And it's so incredibly frustrating and difficult and there's not much that I can do about it. All I can do is like model it, you know, like I keep a large portion of my... And it's funny because I feel like in my small practice, I'm in private practice and I kind of like force the way that my practice runs to be how I want the government to be. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say like what can we do? Where like I work with a lot of families in the South Bay and then like they they pay really high fees. And the thing is is that like when I talk to people so I grew up Republican, I'm a Democrat now, super liberal. And so I can see (laughs) I see like both sides of things. I get it. I've been, you know, super republican and I've been super liberal and so um it's funny in my own practice seeing how and Brene Brown talks about this with politics how it's so hard to hate up close Mm -hmm. like we get into a, a place especially right before the election and you know I think these last years of Trump being president where we dehumanize so that we can hate people because our go-to instinctual way of being isn't to hate each other. And so we have to figure out a way to do that and we dehumanize people. We, you know, call them bitch or whatever. Like, we dehumanize people so that we can hate them. And I've noticed in my small practice with every single call I get, I offer people a sliding scale. I say, this is my fee, this is my full fee. I, of course, will offer a sliding scale for anyone that can't afford it. And I have never, in my six years of doing therapy, never worked with a family that could afford my fee and ask for a sliding scale. When I offer it to them and say, you know, I work with kids, you can't turn down a kid because they can't afford it. Like that just goes against my values. And so I always explain to them that if therapy is um, financially stressful, then it's counterproductive. And so I offer sliding scales. And I I can't even tell you how many times um, in the South Bay, even with families, they're like, you know, I have the resources to pay your full fee and I'd like to um, let you know that your work is valued. And so then that gives me the ability to have a huge part of my practice. And then I also hire associates who have that same mindset of, you know, wanting to give back to the community, work with under-resourced populations. And so I kind of have the my uh, clients who like keep the lights on and then also pay for the people who can not afford it, which has become like such an incredible, beautiful no matter what political party you are, it's like, Mm -hmm. you can see it from both sides, you know, it's like these people helping these people and they do it without asking questions. Um, But when you get a phone call from a family, the, the moment that they call you, they are in such a vulnerable space of asking for help and it can be very humbling. And to see them in such a vulnerable place and still say like, no, I can afford this. Like, I want to give back to the other people that I know are calling in this vulnerable place and can't necessarily afford your fee. Like, that gives Mm -hmm. me goosebumps every time that it happens. It's so, um, it's incredible. It's honestly, like, it gives me faith and humanity on a level that I think other people don't get to experience Mm -hmm. and take that into consideration when they're fighting with each other about politics.
1: Do you have... Um, a patient in your mind that sticks out that was you feel like was the most rewarding
0: experience Mm -hmm. the thing about being a therapist is that it is so incredibly rewarding sometimes and it makes it worth it but no news is good news and i'm sure Mm -hmm. the same with nurses Mm -hmm. so like i teach them all these tools and all these skills and i hope i make a difference and then they leave and then if they don't call me that's actually a good thing they never call to say hi i'm doing so well i just want to catch you up on my life but i don't need you you know that that doesn't happen yeah um it happens sometimes sometimes i'll get emails or letters um but it happens so rarely that that is probably the the most difficult part of it is that Mm -hmm. you just you know you say goodbye and you hope that they don't need you again but then you don't know what happens to them
2: push them out of the nest and know that you taught them how to fly
0: do you have any tips for um a medical
1: professional, like ways that we can maneuver our help or resources mm-hmm. or what are your thoughts
0: on this to help? I would say to just never get too comfortable. You know, like our job is so incredibly important. And um, it's a little like it's an honor to be in a space where you can help somebody in their most vulnerable place where they're really hurting physically, emotionally, mentally. And so getting comfortable in it, um, is something that can be dangerous because I I think it's important to always be learning, always be passionate about what you're doing, and if you're getting to a place where you're burning out, um, then take a break. You know, self care or whatever, whatever that looks like to you, making mm-hmm. sure that you're putting yourself first so that you can be there for the people that you work with. And also, uh, I, people used to ask me all the time, or sometimes my students ask me, how do you know that you can work with this population? Like, isn't working with kids and trauma too hard for you? Like, Get isn't that, it so difficult? All
2: the time. The time. I think yeah. that's the number one question. And me even teaching mm-hmm. pediatrics for nursing school is like, well, I love kids, but I how do you do it? How right. do you deal with kids dying or with kids that are really sick? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I'm kind of like, you know, if I didn't feel this way about them, if it wasn't difficult, if I didn't care, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be the right person for the job. Mm -hmm. So you learn how to deal with your own stuff, to be passionate and to care so much, to give them the best services that they deserve. And so I think that staying passionate about it, doing what you can to take care of yourself um, so that you're providing the best services as possible to the population, educating yourself on... Um, ways to vote for people to have services, and um, even like in your community and what you can do, just you know, on the the local voting platforms, that kind of stuff. Advocating, talking to people about it, doing podcasts about mm-hmm. it, <laughs> yeah, spreading the word, yeah, giving out free information whenever possible.
2: Do you have recommendations for providers who are feeling burnt out? Because I know Ooh. working in healthcare in 2020 has been mentally draining for people in healthcare.
0: if you're feeling burnt out you need to take a back seat take more days off do whatever you can because you have to be in a good space in order to do what you do doing whatever you can to put yourself first and then knowing that everything else will follow and that's why health is my number one value is because Mm -hmm. if I put connection first then I'm connecting with people, but I'm not putting my, my own health for first, real. my own physical health, my own mental health. It, you burn out faster. If I put play first, I wouldn't get anything done. I just be playing all the time. So health is my number one to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and I'm, um, you know, getting outside, I'm drinking enough water. Like that's always an indication that I'm working too hard if I don't drink enough water in a day. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, know. I need to that's take nice a break. For <laughs> coffee. I sip my own coffee. she's in cold yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, taking care of yourself, being okay with saying no, that and not is feeling a big guilty. One. Yeah, uh huh.
2: Just give us full therapist like, boom, 101 on saying no and boundaries, like from a pro. Because yeah, because I think that is what people struggle the most with.
0: I've gotten to a place where I love pe- when people tell me no and don't give me a reason why. I'm like,
2: yes. <gasps> The boundaries. reason why I feel like yes, I'm good at saying boundaries. no, but I feel like I have to have this whole excuse, excuse like lie, justification. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah, don't feel like I...
1: Can well, I as, as a woman, no, right? Like, no, mm-hmm. because
2: yeah. my dog's and in I the, the like hospital. All, ah. Yeah. But, well, even my dog just had surgery two weeks ago, and I did have to cancel some plans and do things. And I'm like, I'm sorry, my dog's getting surgery. And da 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 And I feel like I have to give this whole big reason
1: why no. And well, and I think that's a, like a big cause I
0: don't gender I difference,
1: it. too. Like, I think men, in general, as a general statement, are good about just being like, nah, can't Yeah. miss it. But then as women... We feel the need to make sure the other person is okay with yeah, whatever totally. we're saying. Yeah, like caretaking mm-hmm.
0: to the point. I've never thought of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Just because I I literally say no, but without the whole backstory, I don't even know how to say no without. Yeah, yeah.
0: you huh. guys have full reign to tell me no at any point, and I will not get offended. I when people tell me no and don't give me. A reason That makes me feel comfortable to tell them no, them no when I don't want to without giving them a reason. So it's yeah. like this boundary that you're setting because you love somebody, you know, you're like you're modeling it. You're saying like, you know, I'm going to put myself first and I'm hoping that you're putting yourself first too. And I think that that is essential to even me and my friendships like my friend, my best friend um, the nurse practitioner, she'll go off the map for like months at a time because she gets like super overwhelmed and is introverted. And she like, won't respond to my texts, won't call me back. And in the beginning of our relationship, we've been friends for 10 years now, 12 years, I would get like offended and like heart hurt. And then she'd have to apologize. And now I'm like, do you boo? Like, (laughs) this is a great um, example of how I need to do that sometimes. Like, blow people off to put myself first and so the more that you can do that and you model it um that also gives the other person the opportunity to tell you if they're, they're hurting your feelings instead of this like passive aggressive like well they're not talking to me so I'm not going to talk to them it's like oh this hurts my feelings okay what is it about me not answering you that hurts your feelings I feel like you don't like me anymore you can be like well that's not it I do like you I'm overwhelmed yeah. you know like it becomes more of a um authentic Mm -hmm. conversation where you're learning more about each other rather than going above and beyond to make sure this person's feelings aren't hurt and then you're not putting yourself first i am the
1: person who doesn't answer Mm. and i I don't with you i feel like it's sam and i that's different but um in my friend group i find myself I'm the worst yeah i get text messages from
2: people that say just pulse check that's (laughs) that's <laughs> one thing in my friend group of natalie emily lisa i'll go days yeah. without responding to their text yeah, and they'll same. be like sam
1: pulse check we both have our separate or if group. i don't post on social awesome. media
2: for a day because sometimes i won't post on my stories and they'll text me and be like okay you don't answer text but i see that you're active yes. on your stories, so i yes. know that you're at least alive but now you haven't answered my text in three days and you haven't posted any stories i just want to know that you're breathing and i'm like yeah sorry
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that's another big boundary social media let's talk about that okay What are your thoughts on this? I've
2: read some things about research saying that it's made mental health and depression worse. Mm -hmm. But I also think that social media... It can be a great
1: resource. It's
2: been a great resource for me to better my mental health. But I'm very intentional about the accounts I follow. That they are ones that are adding to my life Mm -hmm. and not making me feel bad about my life. And a lot of people I don't think edit their following like who they follow in that way. So
0: I started a TikTok page for Gen Zers just with like oh, little tidbits and little, Ooh, little okay. <laughs> Didn't even know this. And there was one point where I went on there just to, I was like, oh, I just thought of something cool I'm going to add on there. And the beauty filter was already on. I didn't Ooh. turn it on. It was just on. And I was like, Ooh. my face does not look like that. <laughs> like, dang. Like, I feel like TikTok was telling me, Macy, come on, use the beauty filter. Like, you need this, bitch. (laughs) And I was just like, wow. From my perspective. I mean, I turned it off because I'm trying to send a certain message of being genuine. But I was like, if I was 14 or younger Mm -hmm. and I figured that this was like, this is how I'm supposed to look. This is what's, this is best for me. This is how I want to present myself to people. Because my regular face is too ugly to post on the internet like (laughs) that impacts you Mm -hmm. long term i feel like social media and technology has it has so it's a it's a wonderful creative outlet that people have never had before i feel like it's so helpful to get teens and um, young adults or whoever you know in specific groups of people that they wouldn't be in in the in they wouldn't be connected with without that Um, You know, like doing virtual Al-Anon meetings or whatever. They're able to connect with people that understand them, especially in like the LGBTQ community too. Um, So it has all of these like wonderful aspects to it. But you have to fight to be intentional about the wonderful aspects to it. Because Mm -hmm. it is so easy to get comfy in the comparison trap trying to make yourself look perfect, trying to make your life look perfect, looking at everyone else's life looking so perfect. And the research actually shows that girls are more susceptible to this than boys Mm -hmm. are in our society. Right. Because like you can edit your body to look a certain way. You can get rid of the blemish or the wrinkle or whatever it is. And it's so damaging Mm -hmm. to your self-esteem. And so to grow up. I'm so glad I didn't grow up with this. I I got my space in college. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Same. so glad. Yeah, I don't ever remember in college laying around just scrolling through my phone like I do now. I didn't do that in college. No, I would just like nothing to scroll lose long. it yeah, forget it about Text and play yeah. snake. Right. right. <laughs> I had a razor.
1: Yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, truly, social media, even of the past five years, has changed so much. Yeah, it's
0: with like
2: crazy. TikTok. Yeah, because yeah, even totally. like Instagram started the year I graduated nursing school. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Our society, will we'll adapt. We always adapt. And we're going to adapt but we adopt all of these, like, artificial ways of adapting to things that should be organically a certain way. So now that none of us can pay attention to anything, we meditate. Or, you know, now that we sit around all day on our computers, we we work out. We go for runs, you know, like we're finding these artificial ways of... Um, balancing again, like balancing ourselves. And so even with social media and I, I just ran a team group and they're learning ways of like I need to intentionally disconnect myself from this to get to more of a place of homeostasis. Um so with that, you know, I think that they're having to do a lot more therapy to undo all of these like Uh, belief systems about comparing themselves to other people or feeling disconnected or feeling like they have to fit in instead of belong it's like we have to adapt all of these artificial ways of undoing all the detrimental effects of the way that our society just like functions I've felt that it's funny because Sam knows this like
1: I've had I have hit such burnout moments with social media and I Mm -hmm. just have to like turn it off. And it's funny too, because that's why I think, and Sam and I've talked a lot about this. This is why I was so passionate about this platform, because I think this is a true opportunity to get people off of a phone, off of a screen, to be able to go on a walk and listen to something that you're going to learn some value from, to just detune and like, almost you know focus on to me like focusing on one thing nowadays people don't do that they don't just focus like you're going to watch your netflix and then also be on your phone you're going to be answering your emails and wa- re-
0: watching your TikTok like that's how we are and I just and now we like... have kids going to school and they're on their phone at the same time mm-hmm. and yeah. like so many kids are talking about having anxiety of sitting in a classroom for 40 minutes without being on their phone yeah like, that's just I, what we did yeah I just had a client tell me that she had to keep her phone in her hand in her pocket to soothe her because oh. when everything's virtual they're sitting I mean I do it too as a as a yeah. professor I'm sitting there scrolling through know, my right? phone while people are talking to me yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm like uh huh. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) I know my students on zoom literally
2: because sometimes they'll forget to mute themselves yeah and all of a sudden they'll start playing some sort of like video or youtube or something "Mm -hmm. (laughs) i know you're not listening but at least pretend yeah Yeah. mute yourselves you guys totally so what is kind of your best advice to people who maybe struggle with using social media in a positive
0: way so some of the stuff that you already mentioned of like if you're scrolling through and a post doesn't make you feel anywhere from content to happy, then you shouldn't be following this person. Mm. And sometimes it's like friends, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really recommend going through your who you follow mm-hmm. and doing it's spring. I do it all the time. Happy
2: spring cleaning. Yeah, yeah. I get email or edit. like I
0: get uh, DMs from people and they're like, "Hey, I met you once at once at Stagecoach. Why did you stop following me?" And I was like. Oh, God. Because I met you once at Stagecoach. Yeah. And your <laughs> content you doesn't improve upon my right. life. And it maybe
2: doesn't align with your
0: core Ain't got time values. for it. Yeah. You're not on the train that I'm on. I don't have time for it. So going through. um, I think you feel guilty, too, unfollowing certain people yeah, that may be yes. like,
2: well, I went to high school with them. Mm-hmm. But if anything, through like the election, the pandemic, and Black Lives Matter, I'm like, oh, you don't wear a mask? Unfollow. You... <laughs> You said all lives matter, unfollow. Like, you're not down with my trans homies, unfollow. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, you don't align with me. I don't want your content.
0: Yeah. And I feel like you have to find some kind of meaning to your social media and like being intentional about that too. So, are you using it just to feel bad about yourself that everyone's hanging out without you or people have their lives together without you? Oh, this person is the same age as me and they have family and kids and what's wrong with me so it's like this um very specific intentionality of why you're on it and what the purpose is for it and how it can improve your life and then outside of that doing some reflection maybe journaling maybe therapy whatever it may be on what makes you fall into that comparison trap like are you are your values unaligned and um you know if you have maybe this, even
2: establishing them yes yeah, totally not i because that's my homework still, but yeah. Yeah, I love that. I homework don't think for you. people maybe have necessarily thought about it in that way and can identify them. Even.
0: You can do a quick Google of Brene Brown's value list or Ooh. something like that. Brene Brown, and she has just a list of a bunch of them, and you go through and you can think about it, sit on it, journal on it, reflect, and try to figure it out. Do you have some advice for? anyone that's maybe
2: going to start journaling because I know this is so new to me in the last literally week I did journaling back in 2008 when I did inpatient treatment for eating disorder and I did it maybe into 2009 when I was doing outpatient therapy and then I have not done it since Mm -hmm. so I took a good decade off and Mm -hmm. now I'm like all right you are an adult (laughs) you need to get your mental health
0: in check and so I've started it but it's hard. yeah, mm-hmm. it is really hard. Um, uh, if you're trying to adopt a new habit, tying it to a habit that's already in place is really helpful. So if you're if you drink coffee every morning, it's like, okay, coffee and then spend 10 minutes journaling, five minutes journaling, whatever it may be. something that feels doable and starting really small. So tying it to a habit that you already do and if you feel like just writing out all of your feelings in a journal is overwhelming, google journaling topics like guided journaling like or the apps that are guided something like that for people to just like give you questions to get you thinking and then knowing that you can kind of stray if you feel like straying um but tying it to a habit and then doing even if it's like write down three sentences today you know like doing something that you can feel proud of yourself for instead of having these big grandiose i listened to the podcast that you guys did for the um personal trainer and he had these this like awesome morning routine oh, no. and you both you both were like we need morning routines <laughs> <laughs> morning and routine tangible. Like, yeah and i so started like, with the,
2: a skincare routine in the morning and now that's
0: like mm, changing my yeah thing, like something like, excited I excited do about small doable little steps. Yeah. small steps Baby steps for me right exactly and starting out small so that you can just like slowly incorporate when you realize ooh, this is helpful this makes me feel good and i'm more energized now to maybe do seven sentences instead of three you know so have you ever tried journaling Tori
1: now I'm going to I, I haven't like it yeah. it is a very
0: un-Samantha
2: like thing <laughs> but I'm loving it okay. and I'm one weekend and yeah. I feel like this is a way
1: more Victoria thing totally I would think so too yeah. I just haven't you know and I think it's because I just haven't intentionally done something like that but yeah. I think actually like I've been feeling that burnout a little bit yeah. more lately. I feel like you and I are both, but I'm like, oh, You've been I, working hard, man. Yeah, we have to. <laughs> Journal it. So maybe I need to do that. I have that. 30 days free to that
2: app I'll send you. Yeah. So the other thing I've gotten into this year yeah. is positive affirmations, though, and I always Ooh, thought yeah. I was too cool for those because I'm, like, those. immature. Like, I can't do yoga class because if, like, someone farts, I will laugh. Like, <laughs> I am just very. Or, like, lion's breath. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just too <laughs> immature
1: Like, I can't take things. it. <laughs> I He's can't. Like, no.
2: But. So I could never take myself seriously standing in front of the mirror and being like, you are worthy. You are like, I would just laugh and be like, this is so stupid. Mm -hmm. And I've started it this year and I was like, all right, you're not too cool for anything. Like you still have a side part and skinny jeans. You're obviously not cool anymore. (laughs) So I've started it and it has been so transforming also. Yeah. For like my mental health. I've seen a big shift
0: in you. Yeah. Like, I I don't
1: know yeah it's really cool
0: i love doing affirmations it's the only time that it doesn't feel super cheesy is i do it when i lift oh yeah when you're in the mirror and you're lifting heavy weights you're like i'm a badass i am worth this like it feels just like it helps you get the weight up and it's an affirmation okay i want to touch on this
1: before we head out attachment styles oh can we just go into that really quick i'm really curious
0: yeah um for healthy relationships Okay. I don't know. I don't know how quick this will be. (laughs) (laughs) I figured I'm like, it's a big one, but I really wanted to touch on this. Learning attachment styles is something that I feel like is information you should learn in like elementary school. So I went through a breakup um, and probably partly why I'm I'm still single is like when I go through a breakup or um, I'm in a relationship i will like logically think through things until they don't feel uncomfortable or painful anymore like i'll read books about relationships and i'll like learn and this is when i learned about attachment styles um i went through my first bad heartbreak and i was just watching youtube videos about heartbreak and oxytocin and why we fall in love and how it's like fake and bullshit or whatever and it's like helping me get through it but then i learned about attachment styles from my therapist And this blew my mind. Um, So there's a book on it. It's called Attached. It's a white cover and it has two magnets. And I'm going to give a very butchered summary of the things that are in this book. And so basically... Because of the way that you were raised in your childhood, you develop an attachment style as an adult. So kids have an attachment style, and then you have an attachment style as an adult. So if your mom had, like, postpartum depression and ignored you as a child, you could possibly grow up and have avoidant attachment, um, where if people get too close to you, you don't like it, you back away, it freaks you out. Um, avoidant attachment people, they... Uh, and, and typically you'll see this in more men than women, but they feel like people are very clingy and it freaks them out. They have to like give a lot to the relationship and it's exhausting and overwhelming. Um, and then say, you know, s- same thing happened when you were younger of like maybe you had an abusive parent or you know somebody in your family then you grow up with an anxious attachment style as an adult where you're always worried that people don't love you or they're going to leave you Um, so you come off as very clingy and desperate and needing love and attention from people around you and when you don't have it even from a partner who you like just met on a dating app it freaks you out gives you anxiety Um, and so your attachment style is the way that it is And if you work on trying to change it, you have a 25% chance of actually changing it. So essentially in therapy, and especially in couples therapy, instead of trying to change your attachment style, you use it to find a partner who matches that attachment style. So you have avoidant attachment style, anxious and then you can have a secure so if you had a very secure relationship with your parents you typically have a very secure relationship with your partner and with dating in general where um, you don't necessarily feel that that need to pull away or feel very clingy um, but you just feel like secure in yourself in your relationships when I learned this what can be a good fit is somebody who has an anxious attachment style paired with another anxious attachment style so that was my last relationship I'm I'm mostly secure, but I have a little bit of anxious attachment
1: between both.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And so I needed a lot of attention and Mm -hmm. he needed a lot of attention. And so we were just like always reassuring each other and giving each other a lot of attention. And like that part of the relationship worked out well. Um, Or I'm really good with secure people because when I need that reassurance, they have no problem giving it to me. They're like, oh, yes, of course. We haven't talked all day. I will sit here and talk your ear off for an hour because you feel ignored or whatever, you know, like they'll kind of just give into it and feel fine. You do this like toxic, unhealthy song and dance when an anxious attachment person is trying to have a relationship with an avoidant attachment person because you're needing that reassurance for whatever reason. And then the avoidant attachment person is freaked out by it, can't stand it. And then what we do in our society and dating. Is like when you go on a date or you're talking to somebody, we're told to like play it cool. Be the cool girl. Act like you don't really care. It doesn't really matter. And so what that's doing is attracting avoidant people into our lives. And then when we actually open up to being, you know, our secretive anxious selves, (laughs) it scares them off. Or like then you be, you do this like terrible dance where like it scares them off. Then you act like you don't care. So then they come back. So then you come back, but you need reassurance and it scares them off. So then you act like you don't care again. You know, you wait 10 minutes to text back or you go out with your girls and you oh, post. giving me anxiety. Right? You yes. post stories <laughs> mm-hmm. about like how you're out with your girlfriend. So then they come back into their lives because they think you don't care. And that becomes such a toxic environment. So the heartbreak that I went through, that was what was happening. Um, He was very avoidant. I would even say he was like an anxious avoidant where he was like a mix of a lot of bullshit. And so I was trying to play cool girl, which is what I usually do before, Um, like act like I don't give a shit. I don't care. I'm living my own life. And I was attracting all of these avoidant people. And then it'd blow up in my face every time. And how oh. often does that happen Tori, why to are you looking at me like that? I'm like side-eyeing you. <laughs> Tori's giving me the side-eye and I feel very attacked. Oh. It's information that I feel like so many people yeah. go through and That's experience and no so one knows.
1: That's actually so Yeah. Instead very. of
0: like being your authentic self and if it scares someone away it's because they were avoidant or maybe secure and they couldn't in their life give you that kind of reassurance and if someone sticks around you're going to attract the people that feel okay with giving you that reassurance um and then are attracted to you because of that instead of like the opposite
2: this is why i've taken a step back from the dating apps and dating right now because i'm like i just want to so my i mentioned this on the last podcast but my She's, like, my nutrition coach, but we do a lot of just, like, wellness mindset calls. She told me that I'm chaotic and I don't know what sort of energy to attract in the universe. And I was, like, I definitely, like, agree with that because I send out, like, a lot of mixed messages. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, like, you know, that's why I started journaling in this last week. I'm, like, I really want to get a better sense of myself and who I am. So that I actually start attracting the right people. And she's like, once you're the best version of yourself, you're going to attract someone who matches that for Mm -hmm. you. And I'm
0: like... Because you're just unapologetically yourself. Yeah. Because you're not desperately needing somebody to like fill that void because people can pick up on that and people notice that. Um, But when you can unapologetically be like, this is who I am. I love my life. I don't need a ton. Of, I mean, I do need a ton of attention, but I still love my life. Yeah. Then you're going to attract but I the people that, that and want recognize to. that. And right. And you're going to be, and then you're like, if you can't give it to me, bye. Yeah. yeah. And then you're going to attract the people that want to be in your lives because of that.
2: Mm. Truth bombs. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. What's the book called? Because I'm going to read
0: it okay so it's called attached it's a white cover with magnets at the front and the coolest part about the book is that you take the quiz and it breaks it down and it says like this percentage is secure this percentage is i need to take anxious this is Avoid it. I'm sitting here as a middle child, to trying mm-hmm. to be like, "What am I?" Totally, a middle child. Yeah, I and know then I,
1: already, I think I already know what I am.
0: So then, after you take the quiz, the book has has you do an inventory of all your Ooh. last relationships. Oh <gasps> fuck me! We gotta do <laughs> this. Oh my god! Oh yeah. God. Okay. Uh huh. And so, like, That's how you be felt fun. in them? <laughs> yeah. What kind of attachment style you think oh, they had? God. That's good. It's good. It's a. All right. it's, mm. it's good
2: though because I. I wanted to be off the apps and take a step back from dating so that I could really focus on these things yeah. so that if when I do re-enter the dating world, I have a much better understanding and I think having a few conversations with people really made me pinpoint that I don't have me completely figured out yet and therefore I'm not going to find my right fit if I don't even know
1: I actually think this would be really good for me, too, because even just to help in my own relationship, yeah. you know, just to kind of figure out even to do a little deep dive into that. I think it'd be good. What do you think about the whole, like, book on, like, love languages? Oh, I oh, love yeah. it. Do you love that? Have okay. you read that?
2: Have
1: you you, know, and, like, I, Jacob,
2: like, talked about your love languages? I
1: have, but I, I probably need a refresher or mm. to go through it again. I think it's good as a couple to, like, read that book together mm-hmm.
2: And then talk about it because I think if you're speaking two different love languages, there's like a big disconnect there too.
0: Yeah, you can do – so the love languages of couples is really popular and then they actually do love languages of children too. So the way that I work a lot with love languages Mm -hmm. is having parents figure out what their love language is and then what their children's love language is. Yeah, because they think they're – I'm showing my child love and the
2: child's like my parents Mm – yeah. I don't feel like my parents love me because right. like, you're speaking two different love languages. Yeah. yeah. So
0: like the teen will be like, oh, you know, my love language might be quality time. Then the parents love language might be acts of service. And so if parents are working 12 hour days, weekends to provide for their family because that's how they show their love language the, and the child's sitting at home like they don't love me because they don't want to hang out with me. Mm-hmm. Right. That gives you a little bit more insight. On what's actually happening in that dynamic. Interesting. So yes, absolutely with couples. If you have kids, kids too, and then just you as a human on how you are with like your friends. Like I like to know my friends' love language and Mm -hmm. um, just Mm -hmm. how you are in the world with people and being intentional about that. I love that, Macy. You are ridiculous.
1: I could talk to you for like three more hours.
0: We should. Yeah,
2: we have to have you back
1: because there's like there's uh, more topics, things I want to like. I know. Talk about. Yeah, I love mental health. Thank you, Macy, Thank so much you. for coming in today. Yeah, this So many true moms.
0: Love you. Where can everyone find you? Okay, yeah. Macy Grimm, um, G-R-I-M, like the Grim Reaper. And then <laughs> Macy Grimm Therapy is my website, Um, I work in private practice, and I have a few associates that I've hired just recently, too, who do the same kind of work and yeah. are very aligned in the way that I work. And so... Yeah, if you're in the LA area, definitely mm-hmm. check me. out. I'm in out. Hermosa Beach. Yeah. Yeah. so south bay la area check me out awesome thank you thank you love you yeah thanks guys all right you guys thank you
1: so much for listening we had so much fun recording with macy yes that was so good all right and as you guys know Scroll down to those show notes. We have a really awesome link for you, the Resume RX. Um, this one was a big popular one. We just did our episode on all things interview and portfolio. If you scroll down, use that link, you get 20% off of your resume, cover letters, all the great resources and tools. As always, you guys, you can head over to www.selfiepodcast.com for all of our episodes and merch. Also, you guys, head over to the link in our bio on our Instagram. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Fill out our Trova trip link. We want to go on a trip with you. We are ready to get fun. Enjoy a nice little spring break with us. 2022 vibes. Cocktail in hand. Let's go with some Bali vibes. Go swimming. We can go snorkeling. We can go see all the beautiful things go just have some relaxing time with you guys I need it so I need you to fill out our survey please yeah. and thank you
2: and then as always download subscribe download rate and subscribe. review
1: <laughs> rate we're and review. sending out more
2: swag bags always coming your way with all the new fun stuff yeah so make sure to leave your IG handle in our review so that we can
1: get your info and send yeah. some selfie swag we'll slip into that DM and mail those over to you guys and as always follow us on our insta that's at nurse tori and at hey samantha with two a's and we will see See you you guys next week Bye. Bye. bye